The man who in his life had uttered fewer words than any of them knew exactly what to say. The little pig. That'll do. Mm. Oh. Oh. We must have fallen asleep during that movie. Oh, man, uh, Brad, get up. We got to record the Groundhog Day podcast. Huh? Oh. Did Mom make it out okay? Rewind it. I gotta see. No, we don't have time. No, she didn't make it out okay? Or no, we don't have time? Both. Oh man. I don't know when I'm gonna be able to watch this again. From Los Angeles, California, it's High On Film! Tonight, we've got Mike Terenzis and Groundhog Day. He's gotta be stopped, and I have to stop him on tonight's episode. Welcome to High on Film Sobering Talk on Movies. I'm Chris Maxwell, your host. Welcome to another week, another show, another movie. I am so excited to discuss an American with hints of Canadian uh, comic masterpiece. A movie studied by philosophers of religions from around the world. It's Groundhog Day from the year of our Lord, 1993. <laughs> Directed by Harold Ramis, written by Harold Ramis and Danny Rubin, off a story by Danny Rubin. Oh boy. Certainly a favorite of mine. I have seen this uh, countless times over my life and uh, really, really love to revisit it here. But let's get to my co-host. He's the co-host from the couch, the podcaster of disaster, the man right to my left, and the Brad Davis that God gave us, my co-host and friend, Brad Davis. Happy Groundhog Day, Chris. Hey, happy Groundhog Day, Brad. Oh, it's so nice to celebrate another Groundhog Day, isn't it? Another one, yes. <laughs> Have you, I, I've taken, you've seen this film before, right? It's 20 times at least. I mean, I watched it a ton as a kid. I've seen it plenty of times as an adult. It's one of those movies that anytime it's on TV, I pretty much have to watch it. So yeah, I've seen this movie probably once a year for most of my life or something. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And like you said, I've seen it a lot on TV. I don't think I've actually sat down and watched it tip to tail in a long time, actually. There were scenes that I was like, oh, I haven't seen this scene in a while this time through, which I was hmm. I was very surprised. I even found, I mean, I think every time I watch this, I still find new Bill Murray jokes that I've never picked up on before, which is just such a delight. Uh, but we have much to talk about. So let's get to our guest. He is... One of my favorite cinephiles and a very good friend. It's his second time here on High on Film. Mike Dorenzis returns to the show. Mikey D, welcome back, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I do have a problem, though. My lawyer informed me that I would not be labeled a cinephile, that that would be hidden. So I'm a little upset, but... Oh, see, yeah, once once it's a conviction, once you're a convicted cinephile, you, you're supposed to go and tell all your neighbors. I, that's what I had to do. Uh, yeah, I'm that lawyer. I'm going to fire him. That's it. <laughs> good call. Good call, Mike. 
but welcome back to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. This is one of my favorite comedies of all time. Top four. Easy. Easy. Wow. Top four. Yeah. Does that mean, oh, yeah. does that mean it's number four? Because I, usually it's top three. Well, I I was having problems. with. I was like, top five. And then I couldn't figure out which to put in that fifth spot. So I was like, oh, just it's a top four. Yeah. It's uh this and uh, Monty Python and Holy Grail, you mean? Well, it depends on the day. Today, oh, that's you can't just yeah. throw in whichever one you want. Well, yeah, sometimes I'm more like top Brian. fours work. I mean, uh, yeah, it's just you know, it depends on the day. It's Saturday. Yeah. So, I don't yeah. like this at all. <laughs> my my list is always fluctuating, and it's uh, let's see, this is Spinal Tap, and what was the last one? Uh, Groundhog Day. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, guys, Mike, you live, you currently reside in Pennsylvania. Brad, you and I are both reformed Pennsylvanians. Have, have I haven't been there, but have any of you guys been to Gobbler's Knob uh, in Punxsutawney for Groundhog Day? No. Never. Never. I always wanted to go, but I... It, it would have been lacking because in my head, I can picture the town and that's not there it's it's a small right, town because it was Wood- filmed yeah, in illinois Woodstock, yeah. illinois yeah and so i'd get there and i'd i'd probably be just so disappointed but no it was always something i wanted to do but never did yeah i, I just want to know if so in this movie they get the groundhog out and he sees a shadow and he goes six more weeks of winter and then the whole crowd boos like i want to know if that actually happens because that seems very impolite for this whole town to set up a whole festival around pulling this groundhog out. And then 50% of the time it's going to see a shadow, I imagine. And then the whole festival is just ruined. Everyone just goes, boo, boo, groundhog. Like, does that really happen? They just found out there's six more weeks of winter. They're bummed, but they're, they're still going to go out and party. You're kidding yourself. You don't think they're going to still go out and party one way or the other. Yeah, and where are the winter lovers? Should the winter lovers be like, yeah, we get to ski for six more weeks? Chris, like we, we live in Los Angeles. We, the, most people don't like the winter. They want it to end. Listen, I am not a winter lover. I would be there booing, but there, I, I know there are people who love winter. Yeah, it's not his fault. He saw his shadow. I mean, it's not something he can control. Exactly. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, no need to boo the groundhog. Well, guys, if you haven't seen Groundhog Day, what are you doing with your life? Uh, Or maybe you have seen it and it's just been a while. That's a little more excusable. In either case, Brad and I have prepared a little trailer to refresh you, reintroduce you to the film, and it goes a little something like this. In a world where an overgrown rodent determines the weather. Morning. You have to see the groundhog? This is pitiful. A thousand people freezing their butts off waiting to worship a rat. What a hype. A Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh woo, weatherman makes his yearly pilgrimage to Punxsutawney, PA to cover the Groundhog Day celebrations. Punxsutawney Phil emerged and stated in Groundhog 
I definitely see a shadow. But for unclear karmic reasons, Phil Connors gets stuck in a time loop. Well, what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. He'll use his seemingly endless time to study French poetry, learn to ice sculpt, tickle the ivories, and kill himself countless times. I have been stabbed, shot, poisoned, frozen, Home, electrocuted and burned. All of that pales in comparison to the time he devotes to romancing his producer, Rita. I think you should get your head examined if you expect me to believe a stupid story like that, Phil. And he'll find that sometimes the only way to move forward is to chase away your own dark clouds. Did you want to talk about the weather or were you just making chit-chat? Columbia Pictures presents the final collaboration between Harold Ramis and Bill Murray. I like to say a prayer and drink to a little peace. Bill Murray, Andy McDowell, Chris Elliott, Stephen Tobolowski, and Michael Shannon. WrestleMania! No way! <laughs> He's having the day of his life over and over again. Watch out for that first step, it's a doozy! <laughs> Groundhog Day. And maybe, if it's not too boring, we could do it again sometime. Bill Murray, what, what a treasure that guy is. I can't get enough of him. And now it's time for Trash Star Destroy. That's right, it's Trash Star Destroy, back for another week, America's favorite podcast game. We give you three movies of a similar ilk and ask you to make the hard decisions. One movie you must trash, which means it's eliminated from existence completely. One movie you get to star in, and you get to take whatever part your fragile actor ego desires. And then the third movie then must be destroyed, which means that the only version that has ever been created has been both written and directed by Mr. Michael Bay of Transformers Revenge of the Fallen fame. Capiche? Capiche. Thank you. All right. Since we're talking Groundhog Day, let's do a Groundhog Day category. Three movies where characters are stuck in repeating scenarios. We'll do the Duncan Jones, Jake Gyllenhaal uh, source code. The Tom Cruise, Emily Blunt action vehicle, Edge of Tomorrow. Also now known as Live, Die, Repeat because of its wildly successful tagline. And uh, last year's Andy Samberg comedy, Palm Springs. Trash Star Destroy, Source Code, Edge of Tomorrow, Palm Springs. Well, I have to star in Palm Springs. It's It was one of my favorite movies of last year, and I want to be friends with Andy Samberg. So for me, I, while that role would be great to take, I want to star with him in the movie, so I wouldn't do that. Uh, the Kristen Milanati. No, no. I mean, she actually really is great in that movie. I rewatched it yesterday after watching Groundhog Day. Just did a back to back. Did you? Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was actually a lot of fun. She's too good in that movie, I think, to pull her out of it for myself. Uh, so I'm going to take the J.K. Simmons role. I mean, he. It would be nice to work with J.K. Simmons, but if I'm not Andy Samberg in the movie, I really don't get that opportunity anyway. So, and that's a fun role to play, just this crazy, crazy guy who's out for revenge. And uh, so uh, that's that's a pretty easy choice for me, actually. Uh, the harder choice now... I like you in that movie. I think that's a, that's a fun choice for you. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Just go super unhinged. I can do that. And then I'm going to give Edge of Tomorrow to Michael Bay, 
uh, I think that fits fits him pretty well. And aliens action. Yeah, he's an obviously an action guy. And uh, if you know you have Tom Cruise, you have Emily Blunt. You're, the movie can only really suffer so much. Uh, and then that means I'm trashing source code. I've never actually seen source code, but I think Edge of Tomorrow plays so well for Bathe and, uh, you know, source code, I think, can will be OK being trashed. Sorry to hear that. I just recently caught up with source code. I really, really liked it. Uh, I think it maybe could have ended maybe five minutes before it did. It gets to a point where I was like, oh, this is the end of the movie, right? And then it keeps going for, you know, small little victories. But I, I thought it was would have been a more powerful ending if it would have ended a few minutes earlier. But I, I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, this is this is tough for me. I I would happily star in any of these three movies. Um, uh, but I think, oh boy, am I really going to do this? Uh, is it recency bias that I want to star in Source Code? I'm going to take Jake Gyllenhaal's role and, and be paired with uh, Michelle Monaghan in that. And then, yeah, I get to work with Duncan Jones, David Bowie's son. Maybe I get to meet David Bowie because he's still alive back when we make source code. That would be cool. <laughs> yeah, I love this revisionist history. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to start it. I'm going to become friends with David Bowie and he won't even die. <laughs> I will save David Bowie. <laughs> I'll save David Bowie. I'll parlay my relationship with Duncan Jones into getting Kevin Spacey's part in Moon yeah. so we can get right. the spaceman out of there. Good call. See, See? this is, uh, yeah, I like the way this is playing out. Yeah, I'm so glad I get to save David Bowie. This is going to be great. I'm going to be like a world hero for this. Yeah. Uh, and then I I guess then the chips are just falling into place from here. Then, yeah, I think, Brad, you're right. I think it's Michael Bay's Edge of Tomorrow. A Michael Bay Tom Cruise movie is very intriguing to me. So I'm not terribly unhappy about that. I am a little unhappy about having the trash Palm Springs, though. That is a delightful little film that I really did enjoy. Top 20 of last year for me, for sure. But um, yeah, that's that's the way it has to go. Mike? I have no problem trashing Palm Springs. I've never seen it. It sounds good. I don't know anything about it. <laughs> you uh, should watch it, Mike. I think you would really, really like it. I, I Andy Samberg films are just an unknown to me. I have not seen an Andy Samberg film. I know you guys are pop star fanatics. Yes. And super fans. Super yeah, fans, super yes. I've not seen, I can't, yeah, so I've not seen him in a movie. It's weird. I, I think I Love You, Man. I think that, but I wouldn't call that an Andy Samberg film, but I love that yeah. movie. Hot Rod? You didn't see Hot Rod? No, no, missed that. <laughs> uh, let's see. It's so that's in the trash. Uh, I, like, I think that Michael Bay can, you know, direct uh, source code. I don't think he'll have a problem with that. I don't think anything is too difficult for him i mean he he does action well and you know they're on a train so i don't see how they can mess up <laughs> you know too much and then yes i will star in the third film which is edge of tomorrow, <laughs> tomorrow. sorry it has so many freaking names i always forget if it's live die repeat or i don't think they like thought this tagline was oh this this is great will confuse people even more they tried to like put a switcheroo on it because it wasn't a box office hit it was it was just barely it did all right for itself i think right after tom cruise film i i mean i love that film actually so it should have been like you know one of those big blockbusters but it just kind of got on word of mouth so i feel like them switching up the names hurt they thought it would help but it felt like it hurt to me anyways because i never know what to call it but no i think 
I could take Tom Cruise's role in that and actually improve it. Not 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 that I like, I like Tom Cruise. I know some people don't, but I, I think yeah, but he's he's an action star. I've been watching Mission Impossible with uh, Finn, and he's loving it. And he, those movies just get better and better. But anyways, like he's the mega action star, but in the first half of the film, he stinks. He dies repeatedly, and I can pull that off. I mean, I, I was thinking maybe I could like easily fit into the role of the guy that doesn't wear any pants during battle. Because I don't know. I think <laughs> I think I could pull that off by pulling off my pants. That's on I brand think, for you. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, but I just want to star across Emily Blunt and just watch her magnificence because she's amazing in that film. I argue that maybe Edge of Tomorrow is better with you in the Tom Cruise yeah, role yeah. than it is with Tom <laughs> Cruise. I that yeah, you're right. That first half becomes comic genius. Oh, I would love to watch that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think yeah. I mean he he. He doesn't pull off bumbling very well, Tom Cruise. You're just like, this is Tom Cruise. I mean, how many times has he saved the world and now he's a He bumbling. breaks a foot in a Mission Impossible movie and doesn't even look bumbling. Yeah. And you're, and bumbling is right in your wheelhouse, Mike. Yeah. I mean, really, I can just imagine all the squibs going off in my, like, around me. I'm just freaking out. I, I, I would just nail it. It'd just be like being in the moment. So, yeah. So I think I would actually improve that movie. All right. All right. I like that. All right, guys, we have time for one more Trash Star Destroy category. Of course, Groundhog Day features a bevy of wonderful character actors. Uh, Michael Shannon is in this film, Brian Doyle Murray, Chris Elliott, Ken Hudson Campbell, and of course, the great Ned Ryerson, Stephen Tobolowski. So let's do a Stephen Tobolowski uh, category. Three Stephen Tobolowski movies. Stephen Tobolowski. I feel like I should have just said it one more time. <laughs> we'll do the movie we just watched, Groundhog Day. We'll do the Mel Brooks classic, Spaceballs, and the Christopher Nolan breakout film, Memento. Groundhog Day, Spaceballs, Memento, Trash, Star, Destroy. This is a hard category. Boy, I'm going to have to do something I really don't want to do in this one. Uh, but I think I have to star in Groundhog Day. That's like one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, and I want to work with Bill Murray and not have to kiss Bill Murray. So I think the natural move is to play Chris Elliott's role of Larry. I get to spend, a, you know, I get to just have Bill Murray make fun of me for the f whole first half of the movie. So that's uh, kind of a no-brainer for me, I think, actually. Yeah, you could parlay that into a, a role on Shit's Creek in 25 years. Right, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Oh, that would be great. I'm so much more happy with this decision. Um <laughs> Long con, Brad. Long con. All about the long cons. You love the long cons. So yeah, then I'm starting a Groundhog Day. I think that means I have to trash Memento. I feel like that movie turns into, it might as well be turn into dust with Michael Bay writing and directing it. So that kind of loses any anything worthwhile to it for me because it's clever and I don't think a Michael Bay script has ever been clever. So that's gone and that means i'm giving space balls to michael bay which it'll be there's at least action in it i guess so that'll be kind of entertaining <laughs> yeah. pissed off every star wars fan ever and every mel brooks <laughs> fan ever not in my world because in my universe i am easily starring in space balls i am working with mel brooks that is a lifetime dream of mine 
And it's pretty easy for me to go, sorry, Bill Pullman, I'm Lone Star. That is, that's a no-brainer for me and exactly what I'm doing. Then now here's where it gets tough. What do I want to do? I think if I give Groundhog Day to Michael Bay, I think you lose all the nuance. So I think I'm actually going to trash Groundhog Day and let Michael Bay do Memento. And then it probably, I imagine Michael Bay. It'll be straightforward. It will, yeah, yeah. It will happen in reverse. It'll, it will Michael Bay does it in a linear yeah. style. In a linear <laughs> style. <laughs> That's what it is. That's what I'm doing. Yes. This, I, I thought this was going to be hard, but actually that fact alone is enough to convince me that it should be Michael Bay's memento. <laughs> Mike, what are you doing here? Oh, this is so hard. I love all three of these films so much. And uh, I, I like originally I was like, well, I'll, I'll give Michael Bay Spaceballs, even though I love Spaceballs. I watched that more than Star Wars growing up. It was always on Comedy Central <laughs> and it was so good. But I was like, oh, wait, he's Mel Brooks is no longer writing it, too. I forgot that he write and directs it. So uh, I, I can't give him that. <laughs> It'll mess up my childhood. I <laughs> and yeah. No, this is no good any way you spin it. I guess if I had to trash one, I wouldn't be too screwed up if I've never seen Memento because I do love Christopher Nolan and he's made a lot of good films. So I guess we'll trash that. And I will star in... I think I will have more fun on Spaceballs on that set with all those people and Chris as Lone Star. Yeah, be my barf! Be my barf! (laughs) I could be a. I I want John Candy to be there. I will I will take I will take Michael Winslow's character, and I'm just gonna uh, do funny noises like he's got the bleeps, rip, the creeps, rip, the sleep, the rip. You know, so I you just do, do the same noises for all three of those. <laughs> Are you saying I can't do that role? Yeah, I'm saying you're no Michael Winslow. <laughs> R.I.P. John Candy, but <laughs> you can't say the beeps, the creeps, and the sleeps, and then do the same noise all three times. I'll, I'll work on it. I mean, yeah. I mean, he just got the role. I know. <laughs> Give me a break. All right. I better see your nose inside an act of repairs tomorrow. <laughs> but no, Michael Bay is going to ruin Groundhog's Day. I, I think the multiple car police chase sequences are actually going to be improved, though. So that will have that. All right. But yeah. Playing chicken that. with the train will be excellent. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. That's going to be good. <laughs> all right guys well excellent choices that's how you play trash star destroy congratulations we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back with more mike dorenzis more groundhog day and more high on film right after this you've seen harold ramus repeat days now watch him repeat a character it's multiplicity Michael Keaton plays four roles, all clones of himself, but was pummeled at the box office by Eddie Murphy playing seven roles in The Nutty Professor. Ramis makes his final trip to the National Lampoon Well for the story of a construction worker who can't keep his own house together, so he looks to the hot 90s technology of cloning for help. There's multiple Michael Keatons, but only one Andy McDowell. Multiplicity. Better living through cloning. The man who in his life had uttered fewer words than any of them knew exactly what to say. Elder Pig, 
Didn't I just watch this? Whoa, deja vu. Oh man, Brad, get up, get up. We've got to record the Groundhog Day podcast. Oh man, did I miss the end of Babe again? Uh, again, right? We just watched this. Right, I was all upset about Ma. It must be a glitch in the Matrix. Brad, that's just a movie. It's High on Film! Mike Dorenzis with Groundhog Day! 1993, directed by Harold Ramis. I'm Chris Maxwell, and he's the Brad Davis that God gave us. Brad Davis. Happy Groundhog Day, Chris. And our guest today, Mike Dorenzis. Uh, the judge said I wouldn't have to register as a cinephile. We've got a trailer prepared. In a world where an overgrown rodent determines the weather, he's having the day of his life over and over again. Groundhog Day. Trash Star Destroy. Source code, Edge of Tomorrow, Palm Springs. Trash source code, destroy Edge of Tomorrow, and I'm going to be friends with Andy Samberg in Palm Springs. I'd be great in the first half of Edge of Tomorrow. I'm starring in source code. Save David Bowie. One more. Groundhog Day. Spaceballs. Memento. Trash Groundhog Day. Destroy Memento. Star in Spaceballs. The bleeps. A little bit. The sweeps. A little bit. And the creeps. A little bit. Those are the same sounds. But I'm doing the same thing. I'm Lone Star. Star in Groundhog Day, Spaceballs to Michael Bay, Trash Memento. And that's how you play Trash Star Destroy. We'll be right back. Multiple Michael Keatons, one Andy McDowell. Multiplicity. Better living through cloning. Okay, and and we're back uh, again with more High on Film and, and Groundhog Day. Uh, again, or have I just seen this movie too many times? It's very strange. Either way... It's time for some scene work. We're going to build this scene, build this scene. We're going to build this movie three scenes at a time, three best, three worst. We're going to rank them for you. And if it wasn't readily apparent, we are an optimistic podcast, so we will start things off optimistically with... Best scene. What are our three top best wonderful scenes in Groundhog Day? Uh, I can kick this off. Uh, number, yeah, number three. Number three. Uh, it's a sequence more. It's basically two back-to-back scenes. Uh, it's the bowling alley uh, when uh, Bill Murray is getting drunk with the two townie guys. And Bill Murray starts Justin off, Ralph, I believe. Yes. And Bill Murray starts off by talking like this perfect day he had on the beach with this beautiful woman. And like, why couldn't have that day been going over and over again? And then he even says, oh, lived a... You ever lived a whole day over and over again? And the one guy just says, oh, sums it up for me. Super drunk. Love that. But life in a small town, like yeah. it's so fun. Yeah, it's a nice little dark joke. And then it goes into them outside and trying to get in the car and the guys being too drunk to drive and one debating whether he'll puke inside the car or outside the car. He wants to do both. And then, <laughs> and then we get into this car chase scene in which Bill Murray realizes that he can, if he lives the same day over and over again, he can basically do whatever he wants. So he's just knocking over mailboxes. He's driving recklessly. It leads to a cop car chase uh, down the train. Don't drive on the train tracks. I happen to agree with that one, Phil. There are great lines in there. As a kid, like this was like one of the two funniest scenes in this movie for me. And uh, the, you know, it ends up the cops coming over to the window and, Bill Murray giving the breakfast order 
and then too early too early for flapjacks too early for flapjacks it is such a funny scene it's been one of my favorite scenes in this movie since i was a kid so i had to i had to include it all right mike what's your number three my number three is i feel like this is the most important scene uh it's the one where uh she's uh Andy McDowell knows what's going on and she's trying to stay up, but she falls asleep. And then Bill Murray's just talking to her while she's falling asleep because it, it without this scene working, the second half of the movie doesn't work. And so to, he nailed it. I, it's just so beautiful and honest. And the camera just is just staying there over the bed. And he's just talking to her. Like he, he throughout the movie, the first half of the movie, you don't like Bill Murray. He's an awful person, and he's always say like saying these things where he's you're like, wow, do people really talk like that in real life. You have assholes that just say this stuff to people because it's kind of shocking. And he, he has this one line. He's like, oh, this is how normal people talk, right? And this is the moment he's actually a real person, and the facade is gone, and he's just being honest that he loves her, and that changes him. And therefore, you know, he's just the rest of the movie or the first half of the movie is fun. It's dark, you know, all these suicides and treating people awful. And then the second half after that, it just springs it forth to being a good person. And so if that scene doesn't work, the rest of the movie doesn't work. So I think that's my number three. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of with you. Um, not on that exact scene. I, I do really like that scene. But I, I for my number three, I chose a more serious moment as well. Uh, I think that this movie is so funny and part of the reason it is so funny or i guess uh, i guess it works in the inverse that it's so funny that some of these more serious scenes even work better because you're not you're taken a little off guard by them i, I think and mine is the pop uh, homeless man sequence mm. actually when phil you know he he now has kind of control of what he's doing he realizes that he's kind of a changed man now he's he's fulfilling his purpose in life like actually helping everyone in town and he sees the homeless man and he gives him all his money first and he finds out that the homeless man even though he gets him to a shelter that night that he dies so the next day or the subsequent days however many more groundhog days happen in that in that time phil takes him out to eat and tries to warm him up and at the end of each day the homeless man still dies and it's heartbreaking especially because like phil's with him in that scene where he's like laying on the street and he's dying and phil just kind of gives a quick look to the sky and it's it's just really beautiful and i think bill murray does such a good job of selling the emotion of it in, in such a quick little scene in in a tiny little section of this big hilarious movie i, I just really like it do you think they should have had like a little moment with him on his uh, last perfect day? Like, what did he do with him on his last day? I just, oh. I would have liked something like that to like a little throwback to right before he died. He gave him this, like, you know, just give him a moment, had a cup of coffee with him. Just something. I know we've seen that before. I just, I just wanted a, a throwback to him on his last day. Cause in the last day we didn't see him at all. Yeah, yeah. Well, you don't want to bum everyone out at the end. <laughs> I got to catch a kid out of, fall out of a damn tree. I, I don't have time. Phil now, that. yeah. Phil now know, knows that he can't save everyone, no matter how many chances he gets. So he saves the kid and he just lets the old man die and goes on with his life. Yeah, it's funny at the hospital when he's finding out that the he died the first time. The kid is in the background with a broken arm. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. nice, nice detail. Yeah. yeah. 
It is. Number two, best scene. Uh, number two for me uh, is actually kind of another sequence, but it starts with Phil. It's when Phil's now realizes like he wants to be a better person. And so he's is a better person. And he's it starts with him giving the uh, beautiful speech at the Groundhog, at the actual ceremony where all the cameras are around him. And it's the, uh, you know, he quote, when Chekhov saw the long winter, like that whole speech and everyone around him, like gives him a little round of applause. And then Rita, it ends and it's hilariously perfectly well done. And then Rita like wants to actually go grab a cup of coffee with him. And he's like, nope, I got to go do chores. So it's actually him making the decision to put other people first before his own love life, really, in that instance. And then we follow him through his day of catching the kid, um, the women's, the woman, the three women car breaks down and he uh, jacks it up. And I had the tire. I had the I had the jack. So I just figured uh, I'd take care of it. Take your time. And then walking into the the restaurant to save Brian Doyle Murphy with the choking. And then, you know, he's just being very uh, charming. And then as he's walking out, a woman pulls out a cigarette and he just lights it right at the perfect time as he leaves. That whole sequence is fantastic. And it's the perfect, like, showing the changed man at this point in the movie and everything he does now in this town where he and he, like, legitimately enjoys doing all these things. He's not doing them anymore for something personal. Brad, I, I'm with you 100%. That's that's also my number two. Oh, him, him hitting the the beats of the life he knows so well to get all these things right. I mean, it reminds me of, of I think, maybe the best scene in Palm Springs where Andy Samberg makes his way across a dance floor that he knows every single second of. Uh, and it's, it's so wonderful. And to watch it, you know, its predecessor here of Phil, I mean, it's not as... I guess um, choreographed, executed, yeah, uh, choreographed and executed. But it is—it's such a joy to watch him rush to do these things to get right on time and complete these tasks uh, in his now new renewed sense of purpose in life. I, I really love that stuff. My uh, my number two is along those lines. Uh, it's when he steals the money for the first time, and has, <laughs> yeah. it's so choreographed. You gotta, oh yeah, you gotta fix your fix your breasts, and like you got, he's counting and. It, it's so good because I see I see in that scene so many times of how he got to there. I feel like when he's like, one, two, car. I feel like there was a time he got hit by a car. And yeah. he grabbed both bags and they saw him. And it just it shows his timing and how many times, how long he's been in the situation. And it's all that packed into that one scene. And and then he goes out and just buys a car. And then I was I, I kind of wanted him to do something more flashy with the money. Like, I don't know. I feel like there's deleted scenes of him getting really crazy just to buy a, a fast car is the, like all he could do was the, this money because there's no other point in the movie where he really goes crazy with money. I know he pays like the piano teacher like a thousand bucks, but otherwise he doesn't really spend money like a madman. Like, what's he you do with that money? The original script actually explicitly had him in Groundhog Day for like thousands of years. Mm. And it was like had a lot of more darker and more wild elements to it. Like I, I on Stephen Tobolowski had a podcast. I think it's still up there called the Tobolowski Files, um, and he has an episode about Groundhog Day. It's called the Classic, and he tells a story about the first week of shooting that Harold Ramis uh, and Bill Murray had the scene where once Bill Murray realizes there's no consequences, he goes back and literally chainsaws his hotel room in half, 
cuts his hair into a mohawk, spray paints everything. They, you know, it's a huge set piece. They film it uh, over three days. And Harold Ramis looked at it and said, this isn't working. Threw it out and replaced it with the scene where Bill Murray just breaks the pencil. And he's like, this is the kind of movie we're making. Uh, so I, in that moment, Stephen Tobolowsky at least professes that the whole movie changed. The You know, from this wild extravagant, you know, crazy set pieces and like slapstick Bill Murray movie to a more, to the more philosophical meditation on what that actually means that we have now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they they hit it right. I'm sure there was things cut out of him Uh having thousands and millions of dollars and going nuts with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And truthfully, you're in a small town and you only have the one day, like you can only spend so much money and get so many things in that period of time anyway. Another thing Palm Springs deals with, uh, actually, in in a very clever fashion. Yeah, it really does. All right, guys. Number one, what's the best scene in Groundhog Day? I I imagine we might all have the same thing now that we haven't said it. I doubt it because, I mean, I had – this was tough for me, but my number one is – maybe maybe it is. Mine's not – Take it. Okay. Uh, (laughs) My number one is the diner scene. Um, when he reveals to Rita that, you know, I'm not, I'm a God, I'm not the God, but I'm a God and takes her through the diner and sh- and shows over the time how he's met all these different people and now knows all their stories. And I love the line of uh, maybe God's not uh, omnipotent. Uh, he's just been around so long that he knows everything. And then you, it, great line. it's a great line. It's a fucking great line. Uh, and then it goes in and it's kind of this funny scene of like him going around and telling all these things and the dish and he calls the dishes falling that was set up prior to. And then there's the, then they sit down and he actually has a very real moment with Rita where, what do you, what do you know about me? And he says, I know what everything about you. And he goes on this beautiful explanation of who she is, what she is just shows like how in love with her he really is at this point. And then it's Larry coming in and she, he's going to take you away from me and gives the, the note of we got to get ahead of the weather. Just that scene for me. Yeah, the predictive text that Larry says. Yeah. I mean, that scene for me has stuck with me. It's not a scene I think that hit me so hard as a kid, the way some of the other ones and the couple scenes that I left off here that I was like, I can't believe I'm leaving this off my top three. But now as an adult, I think that scene is perfect. I agree. That was my number one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. I wasn't sure. I was like, he, he explained it so well. I have so little to talk about. Uh, I also love the uh, townsfolk, how he goes up to them. And you're like, you're Mary. You're 23. You went to college, but you failed out. And they're like, he's right. You know? <laughs> yeah. And then they go back to eating. And I just love that each one is like, yeah, this stranger knows everything. Pass the salt. You know? It's just, <laughs> yeah. I love that. And I love that scene and they play it so well. So no, that is definitely my number one scene. I, I, I thought about the scene where I, I don't want to take Chris's. So yeah. Like, well, hold on. Yeah. Yeah. So I can't believe I'm the outlier with this. I do love that scene. I think it's really great. It just narrowly missed my top three. My number one is Ned Ryerson's first scene. Yeah. I thought this was easily going to be it. Tobolowski <laughs> is maybe the only person in this movie who can, rival bill murray's hilarity in this film and his first scene where he gets to rattle off all the stupid ways that phil might know him needle nose ned ned the head i dated your sister once until you told me not to anymore bing yeah it's 
so so good i mean he's so pathetic and so handsy and it's just so funny and you can just tell phil just hates it so much and then it to cap it off with stepping in the water and like watch that step it's a doozy is just so so funny and to get to watch all the other incarnations of that scene play out is uh, a continued joy for me in this film especially the one where phil just socks uh, Ned Ryerson in the face and keeps walking is so good. As a kid, the funniest thing in this movie to me was when oh, Ned yeah. punches him right in the face. Me and my brothers laughed our asses off at that. It is maybe the most perfect scene in there, but like the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, this movie for me. So just having that particular that first scene, like it's kind of like Toy Story 3. Toy Story 3 is the best, but if you didn't take away the first two movies, it's not as good. So therefore, if you took away all the other Ned scenes, that scene isn't as good. It's I, I picked scenes that only stand by themselves where I, I kind of have to put all the Ned scenes together to oh. make it as brilliant as it is. Number, so, four, number four on my list was all the Ned scenes. And I this time watching it, actually, I loved the second time because you get Ned giving Bill Murray all the information the first time and him banging it all. Then the second time it's Bill Murray reluctantly giving him back all the information. And yeah. every time he's like, guess you're an insurance yeah. salesman. <laughs> like it is the Ned Ryerson stuff. Like I could, that's, that is that all that his character in the sequences is the thing that I can't believe didn't make my top three. Yeah. And, and Mike, to, to your point, I will put the very first Ned Ryerson appearance uh, as its standalone scene for my number one. Mm-hmm. I, I will, if you, if push came to shove, I will take all the other Ned Ryerson stuff and throw it out and just singularly uh, focus on, on the very first appearance because Tobolowski rattling off, I wish I wrote them all down, but all the things that <laughs> happened to him in high school that Phil would know him from uh-huh. is so, so funny. There's like six or seven things. Yeah. It's like the <laughs> belly button song. Or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, almost didn't graduate. Cause I had the shingles. Yes. I dated your sister until you took threatened me not to, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's the last one. Exactly. Yeah. It's so good. All right, guys. Well, if there's a best scene, that means, uh uh-oh, there's a worst scene. And not only one, but three. What are our bottom three worst scenes for Groundhog Day? Not an easy task. Oh, hard. There's not like an entire scene that stinks in this movie. It's more about moments. Uh, Mm -hmm. My number three is pretty nitpicky. Well, pretty. Really nitpicky because I don't even really totally dislike it. It's just I needed something for number three. And it's the the Delbert McClinton song Weatherman that plays over the opening and closing credits. Where it's like, the lyrics are like, can't you feel me warming up? I'm your weatherman. I, I don't remember the tune exactly, yeah. but it's just the the lyrics are pretty dumb. And it's it's not a bad song. Like it actually has a pretty good pop melody, but the lyrics are just so hitting you over the head that I just had to pick something for number three yeah i had actually written that down it didn't make my top three but the music and the score like i had a f- same feel with the score in this movie like it works throughout but it all felt very there was no cohesion to it and it all felt very generic like it was pulled off a stock music list it all works but there was nothing special about it and that was i, I didn't end up writing it that was like my number four thing but I, I kind of agree with you about the music stuff doesn't always work yeah, it's like bouncy music beforehand over the clouds uh, right. opening title too. Yeah, and that does it feels almost like um, uh, like clip art music. Right. Like this could be in any 
late 80s early 90s comedy <laughs> and it's kind of throughout the movie even when it fits it's still a little it, it just feels very stock can we say a scene that we wasn't filmed that is our number three because this this always gnawed at me that he didn't Christ. wake up and just get on the road beat the storm why why like he just keeps waiting until the storm gets there and i just wanted a scene where it somehow stopped him from leaving the town just a quick little he tried to first thing in the morning 6 a.m i'm out of here and that never happened so that's what i kind of because me picking out any other thing I like this yeah uh, uh, uh i i'd be too nitpicky for me to just put anything else out there at number three so do you think that if Phil leaves Punxsutawney right away instead of doing the Groundhog Day report and everything and beats the storm and he gets out and he gets able to get through the tunnel and he gets back to Pittsburgh, do you think he's not in the time loop anymore? Do you think no, that's I think a, he'll a possibility? Right up at 6 a.m. again, but I wanted that scene, like a 30-second scene showing he can't get out, you know, because it's not there. It's that It's there on the very first day when he's not in the loop. But or when he like is the first day of the loop, mm -hmm. so not to have it again where he tried to get out, it bothered me. Fair enough. That that's a very valid point. I think. Um, yeah my my actual number three is a quick thing. It's the second. It's the second day when Phil wakes up and he hears like the tape, the radio thing playing again, and he's like, "Oh, guys, you got the same tape on today." And then they say it's Groundhog Day, and that freaks him out. And I, I really only picked it up on this time. If it's if he thinks that they're playing the same tape, the fact that they're saying it's Groundhog Day shouldn't tip him off to anything being weird. Yeah, that's true. And mm -hmm. it's I've never noticed yeah. it before. I caught it this time. I was like, oh yeah, why would you be weird if you think it's a they're just playing the same tape anyway? So unless he realizes that the Groundhog Day is like, oh, what a big fuck up that they're playing the Groundhog Day tape when it's clearly not. So maybe there is something else going on. Maybe. And it, that's his panic. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I'm just hypothesizing. Yeah. It yeah. just, it was just a weird take of like, yeah, you, this shouldn't surprise you if you think they are just replaying yesterday's show. All right. Number two, we're seeing. Uh, see, this actually bothered me, but I, Maddie was trying to talk me out of it, but it's when the piano teacher after Phil has this an amazing performance and she says to Andy McDowell, he's my student. I'm so proud. And I'm like, you just met him that day. You didn't yes. teach him any of that stuff. What are you proud of? I just, I, every time it's like, what, what do you, you, you didn't have anything to do with that in your head. Yes, you did. But so that always bothered me. Especially that last day, like, what did he need one more lesson? And like, what did he learn in that last lesson? Like, uh, that would, I, yeah, that is, that's funny. I mean, it is like a funny line for her to be like, oh, I'm so proud. But you're totally right. The the timing wouldn't be lined up. You should be like, oh, you don't need my lessons. You can teach me stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it might just be her trying to take credit for what he's already accomplished. Like, he's so accomplished. She's like, yeah, he's my student. I, I taught him everything he knows type thing. So, mm -hmm. But True. it's a good point, Mike. I've definitely thought of that before. Uh, for me, it's actually uh, Phil's acumen at the uh, face sculpture of Rita, Andy McDowell, in the snow. The Not the when he's doing the ice sculpting with the chainsaw, but towards the end of the movie, after their wonderful day together, he has her sitting there and she's like, "What? come on, let me see. And she's like getting impatient. He's like, hold on. And he's literally just sculpting snow with his hands and he turns it around and it is a her face perfectly sculpted out of snow i just think that it's a weird 
move to make. Like there's so many classic romantic gestures that he could have had planned, or at least something that was like a little more set up for him. Like, like the Rocky road on the windowsill, like obviously he knew to put that out there ahead of time. Something like that, I think would have been better than this weird skill of, I got really good (laughs) molding snow with my hands to a, you know, to, to that degree of perfection is, I don't know. It was just a little weird for me. I, I was just like, that's a strange gift to give someone. I like that it's not as planned out as like the Rocky Road thing so obviously is. Um, and it, it, your, your point. Well, it is because he had to learn how to do this over right, but he, thousands of Groundhog Days. But I feel like he's learned so many things at that point. It's less pointed at that. And I do love the line afterwards, which he sells very uh he legitimately sells of like, I know your face so well that I could have done it with my eyes closed. Good line to cop it off. Good to line. Cap it off. Yeah. Good line. Yeah. Just wanted to mention that. Yeah. It was very, at the end of that scene, it was very, uh, it's a wonderful life. Like him saying he loves her broke the spell, you know, and right. it started snowing. So I, I don't, I don't know if he just smoothed out the, the snow with his hands. I like it is. he has instruments and the nope. No, you you think he was just smoothing it out? I, 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 is he there? Are no instruments around? Is he wearing gloves? He must be wearing yeah. gloves, though, right? It's not. I don't think. I think oh. he's barehanded. His hands oh, would be think, frozen. You're imagining all this. <laughs> I am not. This happened. I swear. <laughs> But no, it's a skill, like Brad said, it's a skill he's learned over a thousand years. And I, it's impressive. And I like to think they had a good conversation while he was doing that. So <laughs> it's not, it didn't bother me. You like to think it was a good conversation. Yeah, I, like to, I mean, they, they said he, they loved each other and they'd known each other to her a day. So <laughs> I think it was a good conversation. Yeah, you got to take some leeway there. It's funny, like all the other days he spent like all day with her and doing stuff. And here he was doing all these other things with all these other people. And that's how she fell in love with him when he was selfless and, you know, great. But it wasn't about time they spent together. I will say she keeps saying like in that last day, she keeps saying things like, I feel weird. I feel like I noticed it this time where almost it seems like they're trying to hearken to something that she's feeling that they've been through like she's starting to kind of feel that this has been more than just one day i I mean i'm stretching it but that's kind of how i watching it this time i kind of got that sense because she feels so off on that last day that there's almost like more going she kind of knows more has gone on there or something but i'm taking liberties yeah, I'm just saying that it, it could have been, that could have been the piano reveal, right? He could have sat down at a piano in a quiet little bar oh, yeah. or something and played her, like, her favorite song on the piano and been like, I love you so much. Like, it didn't have to be this weird ice sculpture, like, snowball of her face. Like, fair. That's very fair. That's all. That's all I'm saying. I love this movie. These these three are very hard for me to pick out, so. Yeah. Uh, number two for me is just kind of, and, and you know, it's a movie made in 1993, so you have these, but it's Bill Murray just basically, you know, sexually harassing or taking advantage of women when he's throughout the movie. I, I mean, yeah, you know, he he says a couple to Annie McDowell, the whole Nancy, you know, tricking into seducing thing. Um, and, and the one line that certainly bumps now more than ever and should have earlier is when he's laying in bed with Rita and she's like, if you fall asleep, I won't touch you much. Just like, yeah, that's a joke that like kind of used to work for whatever bad reason. And nowadays it just really does stand out as like, that's not a good joke anymore. Like you can't, and it just wouldn't hold up today. And it's not a joke that would probably be in movies today anyway. Well, luckily time marches forward. 
in some realities. <laughs> right. Some. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. Number one, worst scene. What do we have? I have now this it's the it's only a 15 second clip and there's nothing wrong about it but i feel it it see this movie works so well because of its simplicity it doesn't try to figure out who's pulling the strings why this is happening to him and so when they show him after he's killed himself by jumping and they show him at the corner and pull the towel back and you see the world has gone on with him dead in it. That opens up a whole can of worms that I don't think they should have opened. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> this, uh, I, I, I just had it in my head that he died and restarted back at six. So you're showing that all these days that he's dying or these people are living on until 6 a.m. for some reason without him. I thought this was centered around him. I have so many questions now. And because you did this 10 second scene, to me, I'm just thrown off where it just wasn't needed. And you're not answering any questions. You're just asking a whole bunch more that you don't have the time or didn't want to touch to begin with. So to me, I feel that scene, it shouldn't be in there. Even though it doesn't hurt it, I don't want it in there. Sure. That's what we're seeing all about. Yeah. It's a weird choice, especially because so much of the movie, like the whole movie is from his perspective yeah. for the most part. So to kind of see that the day, and if they did more of that, I think like the, oh, the yeah, day. Oh yeah, you would have seen of that. It, it kind of makes more sense. That but it, 10 it, seconds. It, yeah. But it does really stand out. Uh, I, yeah. I, I will give you that. It does stand out as a very weird moment. I I like it actually. I like seeing that the day still plays out until 6 a.m. for everyone else, even when he dies. Uh, and I think, yes, it does raise a lot of questions, namely like a string theory. Like is every day in Groundhog Day for Phil a new set off a whole new universe that just continues on and on and on mm -hmm. uh, to infinity? And I have no problem with thinking about that. I really invite those kind of conversations, actually. Uh, so I like that little bit, but I understand how it can bump for you for sure. And I will take this opportunity to also mention that in... The original script there was a reason why phil was caught in the time loop right he was cursed by someone he was rude to at the tv station or yeah or they also it was a scorned lover or something they had yeah 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 it's something like that there's a couple i think incarnations but yeah it was originally apparently again according to stephen tobolowski that it was a you know someone who was in the black magic who worked at the tv station that phil makes fun of and then they curse him and boom he goes to punxsutawney and he's caught in the time loop Number one for me, and it's small, it's quick. I hate the last scene. I, I love them in bed together. I love, but I love, I hate when they walk outside and it's just like, it's beautiful. Let's live here. We'll rent it first. And I can tell Bill Murray in that moment is like, I don't know what to do with this line. I'm trying to make it work, but it comes off so forced and it like opens up these things of like, well, you live in Pittsburgh. Yeah, you like it here because you know everybody. She doesn't. I, I've just always, like, it just felt like that movie's so good throughout. And then you just kind of end on this very, like, half-assed moment of them walking outside. And it's like, it's a beautiful day because no one's there. And I've just always bumped on it. That line right at the end, especially you have this wonderful scene in bed of the two of them. Like, today is tomorrow. And he's so happy. And she's finally there. And then just this weird little tagged-on moment that just feels so unnecessary. 
my, my number one is definitely something that's unnecessary. I don't know why it was left in this film because it absolutely feels like a relic from scripts drafts past. There's a quick little scene where Bill Murray gets out of a car dressed as Clint Eastwood. Oh yeah. As the man with no name from, from Good, Bad, and the Ugly. He has the poncho and the hat, and he has like a stogie in his mouth. He's even given like a little bit of a Clint Eastwood accent to his voice. And he has another date who's dressed as a French maid. And they're going to a costume party? Or he tells them they're going to a costume party? Yeah, but they're not. And then Linda walks by. Nancy. And he's like, oh, yeah. Nancy? Yeah, yeah. And I just, it's in there and it just feels, it feels a little wackier than everything else that happens. And it does nothing what he's just oh where we get to see him on a date with someone else and it's just confusing because why is she confused about it being a costume party i just don't know what's going on in this scene and it feels like everything else around it was just chopped out and this is still there for some reason i think that goes back to my uh what does he do with all that money that that's the scene directly after he steals the money he bought the car and so it shows him, oh, I can do whatever I want. I can go to a movie dressed in a costume, pulling up in a $70,000 car. And so I like that line, oh, old fiance doesn't remember me. <laughs> so I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I kind of like that line. And I, I, that I, line's I, funny. I'm just saying, why is the scene there? Well, I, th- I think just to show that he bought something with the money. And I think it's also supposed to show that now it's like, okay, onto another woman. Like he's kind of using this now to just like get women and have expensive things. Like I get it. Like I've always kind of bumped on that scene too of like, who is this? Why? What? If it feels like there was a scene before this and maybe even a scene after this that were cut that explain it more. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm saying. And I, I was like, you could easily delete this scene from this movie and I wouldn't have even remembered it was there. Hmm. All right, guys. Well, that's scene work. We just built a hell of a movie. Okay, guys. Well, it's time for our next podcast game. (laughs) That's right. It's time for Milking It. We're going to roll out the big computer of Hollywood Ideas 2000 here in just a moment. And it's going to provide us with a little bit of vital information going forward. It's going to give us a pitch time. We'll each be supplied with an individual pitch time, either 30 seconds, known as the elevator pitch, one American minute, known as the water cooler pitch, or a minute and a half, known as the boardroom pitch. Within those parameters, you will also be given a genre, an actor, or a director to take everything you've learned from Groundhog Day, uh, everything you saw in the movie, its characters, its plot lines, its title, whatever you'd like to salvage from it and reimagine it under these new parameters of an actor, a director, or a new genre. We'll need a title and a quick summary of your brand new movie to put out there and make a billion more dollars for the studio system. Let's fire up the old computer and see what she has for us today. I picked up the landline phone. Did that mess anything up? I just wanted to make sure. No? Being as we're in completely different states, I don't ah. think anything. <laughs> I don't really know how technology works, but I'm pretty sure. Because uh, everything came out on this end here. Uh, it has me going first with the elevator pitch. 30 seconds. Oh, boy. Oh, big computer. 2000. <laughs> I got the porno card. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. The elevator pitch of Groundhog Day as a porno. 
Uh, let's see here. Mike, and as you're going next, the water cooler pitch, you'll have one American minute for a title and a quick summary of Groundhog Day. Ooh, okay. As a spy movie. Ooh. An American with that. minute. Is that like a baker's dozen? Do I get an extra couple seconds? I mean, uh, you, you get a, a curt 60 seconds. Uh, <laughs> damn metrically. And Brad, oh boy, the computer's just been giving you the tough stuff these days. You got a, a boardroom pitch again. All right. 90 seconds. Oh, but I have a feeling you're going to love this. You got an actor. Starring in the ground, starring in Groundhog Day now is Samuel L. Jackson. Yes. Get these motherfucking groundhogs out my motherfucking day. <laughs> I'm sold. Okay. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick minute to gather our thoughts, and we'll be right back with three brand new movies for your listening enjoyment right after this. The man who in his life had uttered fewer words than any of them knew exactly what to say. A little pig. Oh, god damn it! Again? Brad, Brad, wake up. We're caught in a time loop. What? Huh? Oh man, I'm never gonna see the end of Babe. Don't you see what this means? There are no consequences. We can do anything we want. What about the podcast? Oh yeah, I still want to do the podcast. It's High on Film! With Groundhog Day. 1993, directed by Harold Ramis. I'm Chris. He's Brad. Happy Groundhog Day, Chris. And our guest, Mike. Top four comedy for me. Here's a trailer. Groundhog Day. Trash Star Destroy. I'm starring in Source Code. I'm Trash in Palm Springs. Destroy Edge of Tomorrow. Great. Trash Groundhog Day, star in Spaceballs, destroy Memento. Michael Bay tells the story chronologically. I'm starring in Groundhog Day. Mm, aren't we all? That's Trash Star Destroy, and break. Multiplicity. We're back. Scene work. Best scene. The last diner scene. Brad said it. The last diner scene. Ned Ryerson. Bing. Worst scene. He dies, and the day continues? The last line. Clint Eastwood and a French maid. That's scene work. Milking it. Computer? Porno elevator pitch for me. Mike at the water cooler with a spy movie, and Brad in the boardroom with Samuel L. Jackson. Back in a moment with three brand new movies. Okay, we're finally at Milking It. We finally have our Milking It's ready, right, guys? Everyone got to a Milking It this time around. I, I, yeah, yeah, we're here. I mean, we're we're. I have things written down. So okay, good. Oh yeah, me too. Well, let's do this before. Anything else happens here. I have an elevator pitch. 30 seconds on the clock for me to get out Groundhog Day, the pornography. <laughs> here we go. Elevator doors are closing. And Phil Connors is an unhappy, sexually frustrated man who finds himself in Fuxatunny, Pennsylvania, struggling to score a date to the big Groundhog Day party that night. When he finds himself stuck in a time loop, he takes it upon himself to have sex with every person in the town. That means the newlyweds, Neil Dick Ned, the three ladies with the flat tire, everybody, until until he finally convinces the whole town to break out into an orgy at the big party and the spell is broken and Phil is able to resume his life in Phil's Hog's Day. 
Although it'll probably eventually become known for its very, very popular tagline, live, fuck, repeat. (laughs) Great tagline. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Coming to a porno theater near you. I love the idea of pitching an executive a porno film. (laughs) Hey, they got to get made somehow. I guess. All right, Mike, you're next. You got the water cooler pitch. One minute okay. to do Groundhog Day as a spy movie. You ready for this? I'm ready. Okay, you got your Dixie cup. Fill it up with water because oh, here comes the big high-powered executive. Here's your chance. Go ahead. Kate McKinnon is an FBI spy. No, wait, that's CIA. Yeah, that's it. And the crime boss, mafia crime boss, has stolen a nuclear weapon and sold it to terrorists. So she goes undercover to their big Thanksgiving Goomba meal. There's over 100 crime bosses and all these uh, good fellas, and she has to infiltrate it. So she gets in there, and she has to figure out which one of them has sold the nuclear weapon to the terrorist. But she keeps messing up, and they keep different ones keep killing her and through all the like all these days she has to figure out who's selling what and she falls in love with the big crime boss's son and she like wants to find the weapon and like still fall in love with him but in the end she finds out that he is actually the one that has sold the nuclear weapon and she has to kill him in a giant bowl of gravy, just drown his head. And luckily, throughout the day, she's fallen in love with him and just knowing him so much and how much he loves Thanksgiving, she figured out that the password to de-arm the nuclear weapon is wishbone. And there's so much that happens, and it's the thanks that keeps on giving. <laughs> is that the title? <laughs> the title. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Thank you. Switched up holidays. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. We need more Thanksgiving movies. Yeah, I didn't want to do a, 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 yeah, a spy and a Groundhog Day. Yeah, I wanted to change up the holiday and keep it a, you know, undercover spy thing. And I think Kate McKinnon can do anything. She could do the series and funny. So, I yeah, I think I got it all in there. Great. Yeah, great casting. I love Kate McKinnon. Yeah, can't go wrong there. Okay, Brad, boardroom pitch. <laughs> okay. Are you ready for this? Sure. You've got your star attached, Mr. Samuel L. Jackson, for in Groundhog Day. Yes. Pitch it to the executives. Okay. Go ahead. It's Groundhog Day in Punxsutawney, PA, and the town is in full celebration. It's their biggest day of the year, and people come from all over to celebrate, except one man. We pan through the crowd, and you see a man in a black suit, a white shirt, and a black tie. This is Jules Winfield, and he's in Punxsutawney to track down the man who stole from his boss, Ned Ryerson. Of course, (laughs) he does track him down, kills him, gets the briefcase back, and he's on his way. But when the storm keeps him in town, he ends up stuck there for eternity. He keeps killing Ned each day. But and, and has to keep doing it over and over again and each time gets it but still can't get out. So as this continues, though, he begins to like Ned and become friends with Ned. And he starts to enjoy the town and the cafe they go to and the people. So as this progresses, he's still now he's killing Ned, but he's doing it against his better judgment. But he's doing it because he has to. And finally, he realizes that killing people shouldn't be the way you earn a living. So he explains everything to Ned and takes the briefcase from him this time without killing him. He returns the briefcase to his boss that day and finally wakes up in his own bed now out of the loop. But because he likes the town so much and he's made friends with Ned and, and the townspeople, he decides to retire and return to Punxsutawney to spend his days. In the movie, it's Groundhog Day, motherfuckers. <laughs> 
the idea of doing an assassin caught in a groundhog day is really cool. I like that a lot, yeah, actually. That, I think you should. Uh, we should start outlining this. Great. I'm in. Yeah. I think we just sold three brand new movies to the studio system. Congratulations. Woo! Good job keeping those Hollywood wheels turning. They need us. This is the end of the show, uh, finally. And we only have one last thing to do. And that's Brad Davis, you just watched Groundhog Day. What are you going to do next? I actually want to give End of Tomorrow, Edge of Tomorrow another chance. I've only seen it once. And when I saw it, I was, I liked it. I was kind of underwhelmed by it though. And I feel like so many people speak so highly of it. And I've, you know, I'm a Tom Cruise fan for better, you know, worse. He's a great action star and I love Emily Blunt. So I, I want to give that movie another shot. Yeah, I, I remember really liking it. I think I saw it twice, and I, I was like, yeah. It's got great really good. watchability. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. think I'll appreciate it a lot more the second time. Appropriately enough, very high rewatchability. <laughs> Mike Dorensis, you just watched Groundhog Day. What are you going to do next? I have got to get my son to watch Batman the Animated Series with me. Mm. enough, it's like uh, twisting a little kid's arm to watch a cartoon. It's weird. I He was all in with Spider-Man, the animated series, and he loved it. And that was great to w- watch with him. And then I kind of lost him on X-Men. But X-Men is, it's for adults, really. All the storylines and the things they put in. And the kids aren't understanding that this all has to do with, like, you know, being a different or, like, he, he just, you know, it went over his head. But I think he'd really like the Batman the Anime series. And I haven't watched that whole series since, like, college. So I'm excited about that. He's not, but I'm going to make him because, you know, I'm his dad. I can do that. (laughs) (laughs) Chris Maxwell, you just watched Groundhog Day. What are you going to do next? Uh, I'm going to watch Groundhog Day. No, I just... (laughs) um, I'd watch it again. (laughs) uh, No, I'm actually going to go through and I'm going to try to uh, catch up completely on the Tobolesky Files podcast. Uh, I mentioned it earlier. I've only listened to like two or three episodes, but it is a wonderful, wonderful podcast. He's a great storyteller. uh, And it's a lot of his stories from the different projects he's worked on and some, you know, behind the curtain Hollywood stuff. It's really fascinating. I, I really liked what I've listened to and I'm excited to dig in more. Guys, that's the show. Mike, thank you so much for being here, buddy. I really appreciate you doing this movie again and again and again for us. Uh, the honor's mine, guys. I love the show. I love being a part of it. And yeah, this movie was fantastic. Brad, thank you as always, my friend. Anything to plug? Uh, at BD Always GP on Twitter and Instagram, if I haven't done that already. Uh, and it just feels weird. Uh, and uh, yeah, Death at Sunset is still available, I assume. Uh, you know, four parts Detective Noir series, uh, me and Chris did together. So please check that out if you haven't yet. Yeah, two seasons out for your listening enjoyment. And it's a good time to take advantage of that because this is our last high on film for a little while. We're going to take a hiatus, uh, honestly, to work on a little more Death at Sunset. Uh, and we will be back in April for the 93rd Academy Awards. I know uh, Brad and I are so excited to get back to our Oscar spectacular episodes of High On Film, some of my favorite episodes to do. So look for us then. And until then, we love you. Goodbye. High On Film is a Maxwell Davis Productions podcast. Original music by Zach Pfeiffer. For more information, follow at High on Film on Twitter and Instagram or email the show at the High on Film Show at gmail.com.
the man who in his life had uttered fewer words than any of them knew exactly what to say. Elder Pig. That'll do. Aww. Let's do it again. <laughs> 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 From uh, the top. <laughs> yeah.